Faith Under Fire, Part 2. Our text has been 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. It says, But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. How many, how many of you have been running after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness this week? Okay. I'm working on it too. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. You've been in church very long. You've probably heard something about along those lines. Fight the good fight of, of, of faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 is where we're going to pull our message today. It's the beginning of this book. In verse 18, it says, Timothy, this is Paul writing to Timothy, who's his protege, he's a pastor, he's now pastoring the church at Ephesus, one of the fastest growing, largest churches in the area at that time. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. By remembering what's in you, what you're called to, you may fight the battle well. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. So hold on. Why do you suffer shipwreck in regard to your faith? Because you fa failed to hold on to faith and a good conscience. We'll unpack this in a second. It says, among them are Hemenius and Alexander, good names, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. All right, Paul. You know, like, that seems a little intense, doesn't it? He's like, all right, we've had it with these guys. Now, now I, I want to just explain this to you. When he says hand them over to Satan, this is what's meant by this. The church was seen as God's domain, and the world was seen as the enemy's domain. So when he said, hand them over to Satan, he wasn't literally handing them to Lucifer. He wasn't hoping that the devil would have his way with their souls. He said, I'm going to cut them off from this community so that, and, and I want you to see this, most people think it's to protect the church. It's not to protect the church. It's out of love of God for these to see the life that is empty and void in the world that they would be restored because God's heart is always restoration. God's heart is always reconciliation. And so that they would see the void, the emptiness that is in the world and would come back to Christ and be restored. How powerful is that? God's heart is never to disconnect, but in his love, he does discipline us. Now, now Paul is an interesting character. We're going to get into some... Now, today's going to be a little different, all right? So if you listen to me preach a lot, today's going to be a little, little different. I'm going to give you a ton of stuff. And um, I'm, I'm going to give you... like you, This is just like pull out your notepad today because I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff because as we look at the scriptures about our faith under fire, you cannot separate the writings of Paul and, and his encouragement to the churches without focusing on one key element. And it was this, all throughout the scriptures, Paul says, I want you to warn, to warn the churches. And we're thinking, man, what? What is he going to warn us of? What's, I mean, what is it? The devil. What, what, what is he going to warn us of? Of pain, tribulation. He says false doctrine. 
He says, I, I just want you to make, I want you to be aware that there's going to be people that will infiltrate the church of Jesus Christ and try to spread a doctrine that is false. And Timothy, this was Paul's main charge to Timothy. I always read, fight the good fight of faith. That's his main charge. That was not his main charge. His main charge was, Timothy, be a good soldier in the Lord and go expose that false doctrine. Now, I know some of you, you got excited because you're like, that is my calling, pastor. I am actually your man going around exposing false doctrine. Now, I'm going to give you some, I'm gonna use some parameters. Before you jump and volunteer, we're going to explain some of the ways that we should go about this and how it should happen in the context of our church and how we should do this. Let me just help you with this as we get started. If you don't have a, a relationship with someone enough to sit down and have a conversation with them, you're probably not the person to correct their doctrine. Well, Pastor, I am a, I am a Facebook bishop, and I like... Stop. Stop. I know you friended him on Facebook. Doesn't make you friends. In order to be able to address someone's doctrine, you have to have respect enough to address them as a person. In the church of Jesus Christ, we teach doctrine publicly. We rebuke privately. People say, well, well I, want, I want this to be tried in the court of opinion on Instagram. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck airing anything on any social media platform. You, you can't say, you can, you can say, I like, I like the sunshine. And people will be like, I'm offended. I like cloudy skies. I mean, you, 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 can, you can say, I like joy. It's like, it's not all about joy, bro. Some hard times in the world. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't say anything in the court of public opinion and win. It has to come through the context of relationship. Imagine that. So if you're wondering, should I correct someone's doctrine or should I not, the first question that I ask you is, do you know them? And if you don't know them, you need to trust God and his word that he will hold accountable anyone who preaches the gospel. He will hold them accountable for every word that they say, and you trust that there's someone in relationship with them that is correcting their doctrine. But if we don't have relationship with them, it is not our job. So people say, well, should someone correct a pastor? If you have relationship with a pastor and you can come in honor and you can, and, and you can come with respect, then absolutely. If you can't, then you should keep your opinion to yourself. Well, pastor, what do you say? I'm saying what Paul said. We probably just should get into it to make sure that you believe me. We, we, we can think of many reasons, and this is what scholars tell you, there was many reasons that Timothy would not want to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. In fact, most scholars believe that Timothy didn't want the job, that he wanted to stay with Paul, which if Paul was rolling, I'd be like, I'll, I'll stick with Paul too. I was like, you do the talking, man, I got your back. Way back, but I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm going to see what happens. There was all kinds of reasons. Here's some of the reasons that Timothy might not have wanted to be uh, away from Paul. They think that some, some people think he might have been intimidated by following Paul's ministry. You ever felt intimidated before? He felt like he just didn't measure up to Paul. He seems to have been timid or reserved by nature and was perhaps intimidated by the challenge. You ever been intimidated just by the challenge that's ahead of you? This is what Timothy, Timothy, two letters in the New Testament written to him. 
This is some of his own internal struggle. Can you connect with any of that? It says that he might have been discouraged just by the normal difficulties of ministry. I don't want to stay here. It's just hard. People are mean. I don't want to do this. It says he might have questioned his own calling. Because you see Paul speak to him over and over again saying, you're called. Remember your calling. Remember the faith that lived in your grandmother Lois. And I am confident remains in you as well. He, he spoke to him consistently about what was in him. He, he might have been frustrated by all of the distracting and competing doctrines. Because Paul sent, Tim, sent Timothy into a fight. He didn't send him into a midst of revival. He sent him in the midst of a fight. That's why he said you're going to have to fight. Paul wasn't playing around. He said, you're going to have to fight. This one's, this one's going to be a battle. Timothy, put on your big boy pants. You're going to war. All right, people are going to come against you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to hate you. They're going to say what you say is not true. They are going to come against you. They're going to throw rumors out there. They're going to say you don't know what you're talking about. That's why Paul said to Timothy, he said, don't let anyone look down on you, right? Because you are young. Why did he have to tell Timothy that? Because Timothy wasn't sure of himself. You ever felt that way? Like, God, I, I appreciate the call, but me? I don't know if I'm the guy. I don't know if I'm supposed to, I don't know if I have the goods to do what you've asked me to do. There, in the rest of the, the, the Timothys, Paul gives, specifically in 1 Timothy, Paul gives all of these reasons why Timothy should stay. And I think they might apply to us as well. He told him that he needs to stay because the people need the truth. One of the main reasons Paul exhorted Timothy to stay, to be planted, to be rooted, to be grounded, is because people needed the truth that he had. Because God, this is what Paul told him, because God uses unworthy people. Paul proved this in himself when he says, hey, just so you know, I'm the chief of all sinners. He, Jesus saved me, and I'm the worst. I'm the worst dude. Now, we know Paul kind of flipped between both sides because he says, I'm the chief of all sinners, but he also says, I pray in tongues more than all y'all. He's got, he's, got he's got both going. Because, and this is what Paul told him, because you're in a battle and you can't surrender. I, I feel that for us in our culture right now. This, 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 is not a, this is not the playground of 2020. This is the battleground of 2020. And we can't, we can't surrender. This is a fight we have to adhere to, give ourselves to, commit to. And Paul told him this, you got to stay because not everybody else will. You got to stick it out, Timothy, because some are shipwrecking their faith. And I need what's in you. I need what you got. I need what the Spirit of God put in you. I need, the world needs what you have. Let me just say this to you. The world needs what you have. The world needs your story. The world needs your testimony. The world needs your faith. The world needs your confidence. The world needs your the world. That's why you got to stick it out. And it doesn't seem that fun. I want people to like me. Man, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome if just everybody loved you? I like to be liked. I really do. I like it when people like me. It feels really good. I wish I could have it all the time, but it's just, you know what? People are not going to like you. And, and, and the, the faster that you come to that realization, the more confidently you can walk in your call. I thought when people came against me and didn't like me that it would erode my confidence and ruin my call. 
And it actually did the exact opposite because I recognized that I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for him. And whether people hate it or love it, the truth is the truth. And God loves them enough to give them a message they don't want to hear. And the Bible says that the truth, the, the, the truth is what sets you free. Not my truth or your truth. It's his truth. The truth of the word of God that sets us free. It says in verse 18, that we read, he says, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, by, recall, by remembering, sometimes you just got to remember what God saved you from. You got to remember the words that have been given over you, the moments that you've had with God, those things that you journal about. You got to remember what God's done in your life. When Paul is writing in 1 Timothy in chapter 1, in, in verse 12, this is before, before this, this little ver- a couple verses before, he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this is his testimony. He's talking about watch out for false prophets, watch out for false doctrine, watch out for those people who tell people what they want to hear. And he says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, right in the middle of it, who's given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is where he says it, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Woo! That's powerful. Sometimes you just got to remember what he's what he's done for us, right in the midst of warning Timothy about false doctrine, he says, and, and let me tell you about this, let me tell you about this, I, I was the worst, I was persecuting the church, I was killing Christians, and God showed me immense patience, I love that in there, I need, I need God to have some patience with me, he says, he showed me immense patience, that's, that's the good news, of Jesus. This, this is what Paul is trying to tell Timothy. He says, Timothy, you have legacy. You're a third generation Christian. He says, there was a faith that lived in your grandmother Lois. He says, for me, I got nothing. I, I, I destroyed the church. I persecuted the church. But Jesus saves me, which tells me that you can't go too far. That you can't sin too much. That you can't be too bad. That you can't be too bur- That you can't disqualify yourself from the goodness and the grace of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you hate God or hate his church. It doesn't matter if you destroyed God or destroyed his church. It doesn't, doesn't matter. You can't outrun his grace. So you have to remember that God called you. Yeah, that's what I have to remind myself. I didn't call myself. I remember being 19 years old. Stand in a little church in Washington State, and a missionary had come to preach, and the missionary's preaching, and you know how missionaries do, they like, 
they just like get you excited about going. And I'm like, maybe I should go to the mission field. And I'm sitting there as a 19-year-old. I'm thinking, I think I'll go to Africa. Because you just like you think of like the furthest place away. And, and like, God, I will go. And, and, and so I came up to the altar. I remember at 19 years old, I came to the altar. He said, anybody, this missionary is old school, hardcore. He says, anybody who will follow God's call to go, come now. And I'm like, I'm running up there. I'm like, God, I'll go. My mom and dad are like, wait, is he, is he going? And I, got, I just got a yes. God, whatever you want. And, and I said, God, wherever you call me, my answer is, I can feel the call of God to ministry, to his body, to the church. And I said, the answer is yes. And he says, I just heard the Holy Spirit say, open your eyes. And when I opened my eyes, there was a board that we had up on our stage. And it, and, and it was a prayer board for our city. And he says, you don't have to go far. I'm calling you right now. I'm calling you right here. Remember that God, God called me. That's what I got to remember. That's what you got to remember. God called you. You're God's man. You're God's woman. God called you. Remember how God called you. I remember what I felt. I remember how it was. I felt his love. I felt boldness. I felt unworthy. I, I, I felt so excited that God would choose me. I felt like it was a privilege, not an obligation. I, I couldn't wait to go. I couldn't wait to sell everything. I couldn't wait to give it all. You gotta remember how God calls you. And you gotta remember what God calls you to. Why are you here? Why, why are we on this earth? Why are we surviving in 2020? Why? What, well, I think just, you know, if I can get a good 401k and try to give a better life to my kids than I No, there's, there's more than that. There's more than that. Come on, Timothy. Wake up. There's more than that. Your call. Well, I'm not supposed to be a pastor. No, you're supposed to be a minister. Do you know what minister, the word minister translates into? When you read it in the Greek, it means service. Ministry means service. Where are you serving? What, are you, what vision are you serving? Yours? What, 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 what are you giving your life to? What is going to be your legacy? What did you build for you? No, this is, this is why you have to remember what God called. God, what you called me. I remember how you called me, and I remember what you called me to. I'm here. You know what the Bible says? We're supposed to be ministers. I was just talking to a friend about this this week. We're supposed to be, our main chief, our chief call is to be ministers of reconciliation. Woo! To reconcile people far from God to a loving God. That is our main ministry that each and every one of us are called into. The ministry of reconciliation. I don't know if I like that ministry. I kind of like the false doctrine chaser myself. No, we don't have a false doctrine bouncer. All right? It, 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 you, we got to be ministers of reconciliation. The second part of the verse, verse 18, it says, So that you may fight the battle well, ooh, that you may fight the battle well. You know what, for me, most of the time when I talk about the fight, I'm thinking like, you know, turn on my favorite walk-up music, get pumped up, right? It's like, let's go, let's go. I, mean, I did it yesterday for my boys' soccer games. We had, it, we had them on, and they're dancing in the back, and we're getting pumped up, and, and we're ready to go. And I'm like, who's faster than you? Nobody. Who's stronger than you? Nobody. Who's better than you? Nobody. That's right. You're a base boy. That's who you are. Like, we did all that. A little much. Sorry. Didn't mean to give away all my secrets. In, in Genesis, it's kind of practical. He's like, Dad, there's some boys bigger than me. Shut up. Trying to speak faith into your spirit, son. 
always thought the fight was just this, this, this perseverance and this grin and bear it and make it happen. Do you know what Paul is talking about when he says this fight? He said this fight is the fight to hold on to. Get ready. It's not very exciting. Good doctrine. When I'm talking about fight the good fight of faith, I'm like, put a devil in front of me right now. Let's go. And he says, no, there's, there's going to be swirling thoughts about doctrine and truth. And I want to make sure that you hold on to what is absolute. I want to make sure that when people hate you and call you a heretic for holding on to what I've said is true, that it will not shake you. You will not be shamed or ashamed of the gospel of Christ Jesus, but you will hold on unmovable, and you will stand. That's, that's, that's the fight he's talking about. Man, it kind of ruined my perspective. I like the fight, like, you know, like, fight. Fight for, I started reading this, and, and I read this commentary, and, and it showed out throughout Scripture how Paul distinguished characteristics of heretics. People that held on to a false gospel. Paul begins to, to, to just say, hey, this is how you recognize these types. This is how you fight. You better recognize these people. And I'm going to give them to you just so you know because you're not one, but you may know one. And so you got to know that this is how Paul characterizes it. So people that have Paul's vision of the church and they see this, I'll just tell you, it's a big red flag that's waving. He says, he says this. A heretic is driven by the desire for novelty, which is always the newest thing. Truth doesn't change from 2010 to 2020. The, the, The vehicle might change, but the truth remains the same. The method may change, but the message remains the same. He says, you got to be careful of heretics because they exalt the mind at the expense of the heart. And this is what he means by this. His conception of religion is speculation and not experience. So I can tell you a lot about it, but I've never experienced it for myself. Oh, yeah, some of the people that I know the most about Christian doctrine are the furthest away from Christ. There has to be, and this is one of my favorite words, there has to be congruence between my knowledge of Christ and my experience of Christ. And if you just have knowledge, you're in trouble because you have to have relationship to understand God's heart. He exalts the mind at the expense of the heart. He deals in argument instead of action. Ooh. He forgets that the truth is not only something which a man accepts with his mind, but is also something that he translates into action. There is always a danger of heresy when we fall in love with words and we forget deeds. For deeds are the test by which every argument must be tested. People that throw out, well, that's false doctrine, and they don't say that, and this, and this, and this, and this is what you should believe, and this is, and everybody else is a lie, and everybody else, you gotta watch their fruit. How's their heart doing? Are they happy? Are they full of joy? They speak well about others? They're they're full of confidence? They're experiencing God on a daily basis? They have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. They're not given to slander. They're not given to gossip. They're planted in the local body, in the local church. They're under authority. They're under covering. It's not popular in 2020. It's only biblical. 
That's why 2020 kicks against it, because the covering is what enables you to thrive as a man or woman of God. So our culture says, kick covering, let's do it ourselves. How's that working for you? No, embrace covering, embrace authority so that you can thrive. You know what I found out with my parents? My life was way better when I embraced their covering versus when I kicked against it. 2020, Dustin would have been like, forget you, mom and dad. I'm 13. Peace. And they would have been like, enjoy the street, son. I don't have a job. I don't have a car. I can't drive a car. This is what our culture is doing to authority. We don't like authority. Well, what do you want to do? You want to go handle it yourself? No, you don't. You got to play it out sometimes. This, this is what Paul says. This is how I can find a heretic. When they're given to argument instead of action. When they're moved by arrogance rather than humility. He looks down with a certain contempt on simple-minded people who cannot follow his flights of intellectual speculation. He regards those who do not reach his own conclusion as ignorant fools. Can I help you in your faith? Anybody that is kicking against the Christian doctrine, the Christian faith, will try to call you ignorant to prove their point. Oh, you're just ignorant. If you were educated, you would understand. Whatever education you got, I don't want. Because the fruit of your education is a depraved mind, is a seared conscience, is an empty life, and I don't want anything to do with it. Because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was far from God, but now I'm connected to God, and I know what my life was, and I know what my life is, and I'm not going back. And you can call me a fool, you can call me ignorant, but come find me in 20 years when I'm smiling with my grandkids sitting on my lap as they love and worship God in the local church. I'm telling you, when you've got a God encounter, a God experience anchored in good doctrine, you will see the fruit of it in your life. What are we trying to do? Where are we going? In our world, in our culture, in the church. Paul says, watch out for heretics. Some of you thinking right now, like, okay, like, how are we going to discuss this over lunch today? What was pastor's message about? Identifying heretics. <laughs> no, there's, there's more to that. He says some have shipwrecked their faith. He says this is how you make sure that you're not shipwrecked in your journey of faith. He says you've got to hold on to faith. Okay, well, that's, that's good. I don't get shipwrecked in my faith by holding on to faith. This is awkward. What is this? It's good doctrine. And I want to just, just help you real quick. Okay, do you, I don't know if you know this. This is what the Christian faith is all about. The Christian faith is all about this. God, you ready, is God. He's all-powerful. There's none like him. There's been none before him. There'll be none after him. He's, he's the supreme authority. He's it. Nobody's rivaling him. The devil's not fighting it out. See who's most powerful. God is all-powerful. Jesus, his son, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died, and rose from the dead. Doctrine is a set of beliefs. It's teaching. It's instruction. This is what Paul's saying. Make sure you adhere to good doctrine. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is good doctrine. Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. He died. He rose from the dead. He sent the Holy Spirit. 
to be our helper. That's good doctrine. He left so the Holy Spirit could come. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. Jesus is, this is what the Bible says, the way, the truth, and he's the life. So you're saying there's three ways. Yeah, that's fine. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. It all comes back to Jesus. There is no other way that someone can be saved except for faith in this man, Jesus. That's it. It is the way. It's the, anybody that tells you a gospel that is contrary to Jesus as the Savior of the world is a heretic and the Spirit of God is not in them. In fact, anyone that would say that Jesus is not the Savior of the world, I will go so far to say this biblically, they are not saved. Got heavy in here. But you can be. It's good news. Say like you can't be, it's all right. He's the Savior of the world. The Bible is the inerrant, inspired Word of God. And if you can't say that, I'm telling you, you are outside of truth. You, you, you have to give yourself to truth. He says those who, have, those, who have, those who have given themselves, held on to faith. What's faith? Good doctrine. This is good doctrine. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. In fact, Paul says it. He says in 1 Timothy 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior. Our Savior, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Do you know what the gospel is? Do you know what the gospel is? It's good news, Pastor, right? Do, do you know what that means? Because this is really important because he says you got to fight. you got to fight. you got to fight. What's your weapon, Timothy? Sheer determination and endurance. No, no. Timothy, your, your weapon is the gospel. That's actually the weapon. That's, it's, we have a whole new generation that doesn't even understand what the gospel is. And I'm going to tell you, in this church, there is going to be a resurgence of Christian doctrine and the gospel. The gospel. You know what the gospel is? It's a plan. The gospel is God's plan for redemption of mankind because he loved us so much that he made a plan, a strategy. It's an event in history. It really happened. It's an achievement. Jesus died, and when he died, that sin was paid for and atoned for. It is an offer. Oh, it's not a requirement. It's not a prize. It's an offer. That each and every person has the opportunity to accept this offer, no matter good or bad, no, no, no matter race, ethnicity, no matter reputation, no matter geographical location, no ma anybody can receive this offer, and it is an application. It's not just an offer, and you, the application is you receive this offer by faith. Oh, by, by faith. Faith. I want to show you something as we begin to wind down. Hold on to faith. Hold on to faith. Put, put up that uh, picture for me, if you, if you will. This is, a, this is a map, as you can tell. If you were to fly from Dallas to Seattle, you could actually make it in time for the game. Maybe, no, probably not, depending on when you're, when you're watching this. Dallas to Seattle. I don't care really how many people tell me that in order to get to Seattle, you've got to go to Montreal first. It's not true. 
you could say it as much as you want. You can talk about it as much as you want. You can say that it's abuse to say that to go to Seattle, you have to go that way. You can say that. Like, that's not, that, you, what about me? What about what I, what you want doesn't change the direction. It just is what it is. That's not, I don't mean to make anyone mad by saying this is the way to Seattle. I'm not trying to hurt you. In fact, it would actually be help to you to know the way. But if it's not my way, if it's not your way, you're never getting to your destination. So what is your problem? If truth moves this way, no matter what other people identify as truth, truth is truth. And it wouldn't be abuse to tell someone about the truth. In fact, it would be love. It would be love that would say, no, it's that way. It's that way. Don't tell me what I'm feeling. Don't tell me what direction I should go. But I, I thought you wanted life. I, I thought you said you were looking for hope. Oh, you're telling me hope is that way? How dare you speak into my life? How, you asked for hope. Well, I'm finding my own hope. Where the heck is your hope? Canada? <laughs> if any Canadians, I'm sorry. Hold on to faith. Leave that up for a second. And hold on to a good conscience. Now, I thought this was interesting because the text says to hold on to faith, which is doctrine. Hold on to good doctrine. Hold on. Use the weapon of the gospel. Use the gospel, the good news. It says, and a good conscience. Now, this is what conscience is. A good conscience. The, my, my, let me say it this way. When I hold on to faith, that tells me what I believe. It's an admission of I believe this. I'm holding on to this. My good conscience is that I have now professed. Let me say it this way. I now possess what I've professed. It's action on what I believe. Do you know what the great disconnect of Christianity in today, in 2020 is? It's that we have a lot of people that profess and not a lot of people that possess. I'm a Christian. Are you? Are you holding to the truth of the word of God? Are you kicking heretics out of your life and out of your brain space and off your social media feeds? Are you, are, are you fighting for the truth? It's interesting, isn't it, when you put it in this, this context? Faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. There's no congruence between what they believe and what they do. There's a disconnect. It's hypocritical. So they've shipwrecked. They've suffered shipwreck in regard to your faith. Let me just tell you this about your faith. You don't know how real your faith is until you've been through a storm. Oh, man, I'm a man of God, Pastor. I'm ready. Have you been through anything? Show me your scars. We, 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 this is bad to say, but we do this sometimes as pastors. We set a timer. When people say, Pastor, I'm here for life. I got you. I got your back. I'm never leaving. I'm never going anywhere. I'm your guy. We start the timer. Because when everything's going great, I'm with you. Then a storm comes. Who are you, man? What? I was trying to go to Quebec. It's like, wait, what? One storm threw you that far off your trajectory? Like one, one storm. The only way you survive the storm, it's not grit and endurance. It's good doctrine. 
it's a good understanding that we serve a good God who's going to complete that which he started. That's, that's it. That's what it is. I'm going to take a little step further. And i got to go preach in Wiley. So I'm on my way. Tell him to worship a little longer. Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul. Acts chapter 9, he's on the road to Damascus. He's persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. He's on his way. He's persecuting the church. He sees a vision, right? Jesus shows up to him, says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He has this encounter. He goes blind, which is so crazy. The first time that he was awakened to the Lord, he was blind to the world. That's good, pastor. Uh, when he had an encounter with God, now let me help you with something. I love God encounters. And we're going to pray God encounters happen all across here today. I love God encounters. God encounters changed my life. I love God encounters. A God encounter changed Saul to Paul. It changed him. But good doctrine kept him. An encounter changed him. But good doctrine kept him. Fight the good fight of faith, friend. Keep the faith. Keep the truth. Keep the trajectory. God said we're going to Seattle. Or you can go this way. God said we're going to Dallas. That's better. God said we're going to Dallas. We're going to Dallas. Don't get off path. Don't get off course. Don't get shipwrecked in your thinking. Don't get shipwrecked in your understanding. I am challenging you. I'm admonishing you to keep the fight. I'm ready to fight, Pastor. No, fight this fight. Fight the fight of good doctrine that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he still is the answer, that before I'm a Republican or Democrat, I'm a Christian. Everybody good? Yeah, I'm a Christian first. That's who I am. I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just my gospel, the glorious gospel, the good news of the gospel, his truth in my life. 